letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1. We are looking at verses 15 through the end of the chapter. For this reason I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention to you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Father, help us. Help us to have ears to hear. As Paul even prayed here, let us understand that our position in Christ is second absolutely to nothing. And it is determined. You have determined it in eternity past. Father, help us. Help that overwhelm our souls. Help us to walk in the majesty and the glory of this awesome truth. Father, may we grow. As Paul prayed, and may we be enlightened at the revelation and wisdom that spoke existence into being. And Father, may we pursue you with the breath that you grace us. Think about this letter, okay? He just laid out between 3 and 14 our position in Christ. Then he prays for it. Chapter 2, guess what he does? He gives you the position again. Then guess what he does in chapter 3? He prays that you get it. It's not until 4, 5, and 6 it tells me what my practice is. If you know who you are in Christ, the the practice becomes second nature. I I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to love my wife as Christ loved the church because I know what my position is. Christ loved me and died for me. He's seated at the right hand of God. I just need to know that. Then the rest of it, I had a discussion this week on forgiveness. People say, well, you know, you just can't forgive anybody until they repent. I was like, really? Are you sure about that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I just look around because this guy carries a, a whole bunch of bitterness. And I said, uh, well, let me ask you a question. When you came to salvation, of course, I don't think he's saved, but when you came to salvation, did you repent first or believe first? What? Just a question. I mean, you're telling me that God will not forgive me until I repent. Well, you know what? That's a really good theory, except it's not biblical. Okay? He died for you when you were yet 
sinners. That would be Romans. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? No. And then the thing is, you and I, once we are saved, guess what? There's no more forgiveness and there's no less forgiveness. You have it all. It's just like I shared with you, was it a week or so ago? There's one thing that is impossible for God. Did you know that? One thing. For him to love you more. He's already done it. All right? That's done. You can't do more to make him love you more. You can't do less to make him love you less. He's already sent his son to die for you. Okay? So, understand, I see a lot of people who know what all of the practice is. But they have never really come to grasp what is your position. All right? Because that's where we get into trouble. We we don't... And yeah, you know what? I look at the Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest Bible teachers of mortal man... And yet, he understood, I'm going to give you enough theology to choke a theologian. But I'm going to pray that God opens your eyes that you see it. And you know, he's right. You can have the best orthodox theology on the planet. But i got news for you. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, and they killed Him. You don't get better theology than Him. Okay? So, you can have orthodox theology, but if there's no power behind it in the Spirit, you might as well take a BB gun and shoot down the Berlin Wall. Okay? When I read this, he's moved to praying for the theology that he's given us. And I I was thinking about this because I wrote this down as I was going through it. I think of churches. Okay? Think of churches. Some of us have traveled around and we've been to some big churches. Some of us have been in some goofy churches. I uh, preached at the largest Methodist church North of Atlanta, in Georgia. And uh, they have a ministry. (laughs) Of course, I found out about it later. But they had a ministry that on Saturdays, they go around with a van, a church van, and take women to Planned Parenthood to get their abortions. And you're like, what? (laughs) You know. I understand why you're doing that. Please don't call that a ministry. Okay? But then when I was preaching, I noticed there was an extraordinary large amount of uh, gay people. Okay? And I don't mean like really happy. Okay? And I kept thinking, wow, how in the Sam Cain do you pull this off and then call it church? Okay, that was, uh, I think I've shared with some of you. It's the first time I had my message was prepared until I saw what was going on. And then I read this bulletin board 
of their abortion van thing. And it's the first time that I walked up to the pulpit and on my way up to the pulpit, my message changed. <laughs> I was like, no, man, what I was going to share here, I, I'm going to smack you guys right in the forehead. And then I'm leaving. I'm going back to Tennessee. Okay. And, um, and I, I don't like to put it that way, but I thought, how do you call this church? Okay. But they classified themselves as the largest church, Methodist church north of uh, Atlanta. I've been in some very large churches. I remember one time I was preaching. I wish I could remember the name of the town in Tennessee. Well, I tell you what, I had just left the Methodist church and was driving really fast. Okay. Across Tennessee. I thought, you know, I don't need to stay in this state. So I, I, I was going back these little two lane roads to the rolling hills of Tennessee, the southern, southern central part of Tennessee. And all of a sudden I come up and it's bumper to bumper. And I'm like, what, what has happened? And so it's a Sunday night. And so I'm sitting there and it's just barely moving, barely moving, barely moving, barely moving. And you know, it's kind of winding around and up over hill and dell and through the woods and grandma's house. Here I come. And, and I keep thinking, what is all of this? And I come around this corner. All of these people are going in the church that I'm going to be preaching in. On a Sunday night, traffic jam. You know, I'm nothing personal, but I've never seen that in Colorado. Traffic jam going to church on a Sunday night? Oh, I fell over. Because I thought, who's preaching here? This is going to be good. It's you. What? <laughs> well, these people are going to be disappointed. Okay. I've seen some amazing churches. I've seen some not so much. I've seen the church in Zemimka in Glasgow. I've seen it in Oriel. The church in Baku. I've seen some good churches. I have seen churches on television. But I'm going to ask you a question. What are the churches known for? What are they known for? You ever notice that our churches today, the emphasis is the pastor? Okay. So where's the pastor? You know what's weird? The greatest church that I've ever seen in my life is the church in Thessalonica. Just go read the letter. I mean, that's you just read that and you're like, wow, man. You know what's amazing about the church of Thessalonica? I don't know who the pastor was. I'm pretty sure they didn't have a radio program or a television program. But I also know this. There's always been an evangelical presence in that city since the birth of that church. That's amazing to me. What is the church known for? This group of people were known for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for all the saints. Paul had heard it. The church of Thessalonica, all of this Mediterranean had heard of their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. 
What are you known for? Each and every one of us, what are we known for? Paul had heard these two good things. Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. In John's Gospel, chapter 13, Jesus says, By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, that love, that's that sacrificial thing. We all like it. Oh, I love you. As long as it doesn't cost me nothing. Or it doesn't cost me a lot. Selflessness. Serving others sacrificially. Listen. I was reading. And I can't remember who it was. I wrote the quote down. and I, I, I Sometimes I just read a bunch of stuff. And then you just write stuff. And you're like. I don't remember what book I got that out of. And I'm not never motivated enough to go back and see if I can find it again. Okay. But I know what the quote was. This, quote, true faith springs into love, unquote. That's pretty good if you think about it. See, Paul says, I'd heard about it. It's genuine and it's seen. James wrote, said, you can show me your faith. I can show you my faith by my works, deeds. My faith is seen. You know what? I tell people this and they, you know, I get these little roll your eye things at me. And I says, you know what? I can usually tell what a person's faith is in within about 10 or 15 minutes of talking to them. Okay. Paul says, I've heard about it. It's genuine. See. I laid a foundation for this partially last week when I I told you when I first took the pulpit here in Castle Rock, the big thing was spiritual gifts. Okay, and and you get called names and whatever. It's just weird. I always, my argument was always this. Listen, if you've got to see some kind of heebie-jeebie thing, then you ain't got much faith. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. Now, I no, I do not, I don't know. There are gifts. I I believe in all of them. Every single one of them. But I'm not sure we need some of those. And I still want to see the guy. I want the gift of raising the dead. And I'm going to go freak people out at the hospitals. I'm just going to drive everybody nuts. I'm just going to walk down in the morgue. Yep. Everybody out of the bus. Okay. Now you listen. You do that. There's no doubt in anybody's mind what you just did. Right. But I gotta be honest with you. I ain't never seen that. I know a lot of people say they've done it. And I keep saying, well, show me. And you know, then I can smile at him and say, my faith just isn't that strong. <laughs> so anyway. But, but you see what I'm trying to get at? I believe in the gifts. I believe in all of them. Okay? I cannot show you biblically where they all stopped. I got news for you. I can't do what I'm doing without supernatural intervention. Okay? That was originally my problem as a pastor in this town. My problem as a pastor now has changed. Okay? Are you saved? It's that simple. 
you saved? Well, yeah. Well, how do you know? What? Well, I said a prayer. Ain't nowhere in the Bible that says, say a prayer, you're going to be saved. Ain't in there. So are you saved? So, you know, usually with the contrary ones, what I usually do with them, it says, all right, you tell me five things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Five things. That's all I want. Five. And it's amazing. I know pastors right now who cannot give me five things about the Lord Jesus Christ. What is wrong with that picture? But one of the things that I see here in this letter are two things that the Apostle Paul heard of that was one of the most encouraging things he'd ever run into. Their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for all the saints. Listen, your faith in the Lord Jesus is your first step into salvation. And it begins with believing He is Lord. Okay, now I want you to understand what it says. You believe He is Lord. Alright? Please hear me well on this. You do not make Him Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. Years ago, I think it was in the 70s, think so. I can't remember the date now. There was a book published called The Gospel According to Jesus. Okay? You go read that. It is a very... Uh, it was Dr. MacArthur's first book. And he caught more grief than that book Strange Fire on the Perversion of the Holy Spirit that he wrote just recently. He got more grief out of that book. And they quoted a, a term... And, and it came from weird places. Uh, Dallas Theological Seminary just was adamant against this book. And they quoted, they called it, MacArthur was a lordship salvationist. Okay? That's kind of weird if you think about it. But anyway, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, Right? Okay, well, that word confess is the same word that you see in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins. Okay, now it doesn't mean that we all go into a little booth and tell somebody we're sorry. It says, I'm in agreement. Okay? If I confess my sins, that means that, Lord, that's a sin. You said it's a sin. I know it's a sin. Forgive me of it. Okay? If I confess that Jesus is Lord, guess what you just did? You are in agreement of all that He is. Okay? So what is Lordship salvation? He's either all that He is, are you ain't his? Listen. Jesus is Lord. You do not make him Lord. He was Lord before the foundations of the world. Listen. There is no salvation if he is not Lord. Don't worry about it. If He's not your Lord, don't worry about it. That is the least of your problems. 
Paul here says, I know you're genuine because your faith is in the Lord. In the Lord. And see, I I know where this comes from. I've seen it a lot. They say that, well, you know, you say the sinner's prayer, you walk an aisle, you get baptized or whatever, and that's your salvation. And then somewhere down the course of your life, then he, you will make him your Lord. That ain't biblical. That ain't biblical. You do not receive him as Savior and then later as Lord. He is Lord first. Listen, here's one of the things that I found fascinating about Jesus. We get him as he is. We don't mold him into what we think we need. Whether you respond to his lordship, that is another issue. But he is Lord. You don't believe me? Read Revelations. Watch that mess. He's still Lord. Okay. So. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Got it? That's who he is. All that he is. All that that encompasses. All of his nature. All of his characters. All wrapped up in that. You don't get. Well, you know, I like the salvation part. That lordship thing, man. You know, I'm, I'm a free willed spirited whatever. I heard that this morning. You know, I have free will. No, you don't. <laughs> So, and he's, he kept wanting to push the issue. I said, let me tell you something. You're a slave to your sin. Oh, I'm not a slave to anything. I said, I guarantee you, if I pop you in the nose right now, you will be a slave to sin. He said, what? You want to test it? <laughs> so, then he realized that he might do it. <laughs> I said, you, you, can bet, you, you can bet on it, buddy. Okay. Second thing. True salvation. Love to all the saints. <laughs> yeah, where do you go with that one? But anyway, this love is indiscriminate. Okay, now I do want to give you a qualifier. It says to the saints. That's what the text says. All right? Because I have, as a pastor... <laughs> I've watched people who think that if they're in front, they'll get more love. Nah, that's not the way it works. I, I see people who, you know, it's, it's like some of these places that I've preached outside of the state where I'm not known. But anyway, when I get outside of the state, everybody wants to get close to me. You know, you preach and they, they just want to be, and, you know, and they, and usually, they're not really saying anything. They appreciate what I do, da 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 and all the rest. But it's like, if I get closer, I don't know what they think. But, but I, I've seen this in, in big Bible conferences and all of these other things that everybody says, well, I just need to get closer to these people. Okay? I've also seen this one. Now, don't raise your hand if you've done this. Okay? I love them in the Lord. 
You know what that is? That means I can't stand them. But I love them. Why? Because God said I'm supposed to. You've heard it said this way. I don't necessarily like you, but I love you. Oh, really? How does that work? Listen. You love them because your Lord and Savior loves them. And you love them to the very degree that your Lord and your Savior loves you. What love did Jesus withhold from us? Okay? Listen, if you love them, you love them and the Lord loves them through you. Did you get that? Romans 5, the love of God has been poured into my heart. That's a believer. And if I love, then I'm going to love with the love of God poured into my heart to all believers. I, you know what? Listen, I understand there are some porcupine Christians out there. Okay? Cute as a button, but don't pet it. Right? I, I, I understand that. Listen, in my line of work, I understand that probably better than most of you. You're like, oh, gee, there's that person again. Okay? If you don't love, Understanding it is the body of Christ? How do you make that one work? If you don't love, the Lord doesn't love them through you. And that's not loving them. We're a small congregation. Okay? And yet I've seen in this congregation... People who are distant to each other. And I'm trying to figure that out. Now, I have an excuse. I live in Elbert County. I'm a foreigner. I have to bring my passport to get back into Douglas County. But a lot of you guys live in the same neighborhoods or not that far away. And yet, there are people that I would rather spend time with than others, right? Why is that? I don't know what that is. Don't make sense to me because it is the body of Christ. And you know what? There are some bumps and bruises in the body of Christ, moles, whatever you want to call them, that, you know, oh, man, I don't want to see that person again. I mean, you know, I open my window in my office during the week, and, you know, I'm here by myself, and I open it about that far, and the cars pull in, and you're like, oh, oh no, who is that? I know none of you guys would ever do that. Okay. I hope it's nobody I know. But we are to love as Christ loves us. Let me give you one that's uh, one of my favorite letters. 
As you notice, I have a lot of favorite letters, but uh, this is First Thessalonians chapter five, twelve and following. It says this: We request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Okay, let's stop right there. That's the pastors, elders. Okay, I'm not going to get on the. The, the, the technical terms of esteem and appreciate and all them other things that uh, I've taught First Thessalonians. Some of you know it and uh, just don't like dealing with that because I know what it means and it's kind of kind of a drag. But anyway, you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Okay, so he's saying appreciate the guys who have authority over you in the book. All right. But then he says this, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak and be patient with everyone. Have you ever run into anybody that, as my grandmother used to say, tries your patience? There's a bunch of them, people. But if you look at that, it says, admonish the unruly. The unruly are those ones that if you're going to go this way, they immediately go that way. I mean, that's literally what it means in the original language. When you're going forward, they're going backwards. When you're going backwards, they're going forwards. And I mean, it's the proverbial herding cats. Because they're unruly. But it also says that I'm to do what? Admonish them. You know what that means, right? Tell them that where they're going is going to get them into trouble. Encourage the faint-hearted. <laughs> Those are what I call the swooners. <laughs> you ever run into a Christian like that? God brings him through one thing, and then all of a sudden, oh, and then some, oh, and and you just sit there and you go, it's obvious God's helping you. Get over it. Now I don't tell him that. Okay, that's I have a little more principles than that. Not much, but a little more. Okay, but they are they are faint-hearted. They're it's just what it sounds. They're just you know anything causes them to swoon. All right, and then there is the weak. Help the weak, right? The weak, the word in the original language can either mean they're morally weak or biblically weak. Okay, I mean, they may... I had a couple here years ago, a young couple, and um, his wife was uh, a a, a bit of a pill. (laughs) I like that word. Okay, so one night he calls me, and he says, you know, I won't mention her name. He says, she's run off. And he says, I don't know where she's at. And I said, well, is she in, in your van? They had a van. And I said, he said, yeah. And I was like, I said, all right. So I went over and I prayed with him. And then I went downtown. See, in Castle Rock, <laughs> this was before all of that was built up north of town. So it wasn't like I had a, to go a long ways to look for people. Okay, and so I went down Wilcox there, and sure enough, there was that van that was outside of a bar. So I stopped and <laughs> walk in. 
Okay, and, you know, I'm looking around, and here's all these guys around this one girl, and I'm sitting there going, I know who I'm looking for, right there. <laughs> and so I walked over, and she had her back to me, and I tapped her on her shoulder, and she turned around thought she saw God. And I was like, uh, there ain't none of these guys your husband. Oh, my God. Yep. That's the week. That's the week. So I followed her home. Anyway, that's how you do that. Sometimes the weaker are the easier ones to deal with. The faint-hearted ones, you're like, they're not getting the memo. The unruly ones, there's times that I think that they're just doing that on purpose. Another impressive letter, Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Make my joy complete. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? This is one of the prison epistles. Make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, okay, maintaining the same love, united in the spirit, intent on one purpose. Being of the same love. The same mind. But then he kind of says, well, here, I want you to understand how to do this. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. If you have a spouse and you never, ever want to ever, never, ever have an argument ever, ever. Try that. Humility of mind. Consider others more important than yourself. But he just came out. I want you to make my joy complete. How? Be of one love. Of the same mind. First John chapter 3. Not only love in the word, but love in deed and in truth. Anyone has a need, don't shut up your heart. Then, of course, the one that we all know and cherish. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I do not have love, I become a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and it, I have all faith as to move mountains, and I do not have love, I am nothing. I give all of my possessions to feed the poor. I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love. It profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. does not seek its own. is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. Listen, you can have all the theology you want. And you can transfer all the dogma that you want. But if you don't love, the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians says, you're just noisy. You're nothing but noise. See, true salvation, true salvation goes from your head to your heart and it goes right out and touches others. 
Remember what I told you last two weeks? You have your position in Christ and your practice will be based on your position. When you have confidence in your position, then I can love as Christ loves. Paul says, I am so thankful to God that we've heard about you. You have faith in the Lord and you love the saints. Now then, we read that and we think, wow, man, that's good. That's awesome. Remember who he's writing this to, right? The Lord has put Paul in jail to write a letter to the church in Ephesus, right? But let me give you a warning. This church started out right, but the Lord had to send them another letter. Okay? Revelations chapter 2, verse 4. I have something against you. Their theology was orthodox. They tested false teachers. They tested everybody that came in. And he says, I have something against you. You know what it was? They left their first Love. Sad to think about it. They left their first love, and guess what? The church in Ephesus went out of existence. Gone. The church in Thessalonica, still there today. The city's changed its name about, I don't know how, it depends on who conquers it. I think it's, I think it's back to... Thessalonica, it used to be Salonika, it used to be all, all kinds, but there's always been an evangelical church in Thessalonica. Always. Since the writing of 1 Thessalonians. But the church in Ephesus ceased to exist because they lost their first love. See, there must be faith in the Lord Jesus. Okay, You've got to have that. Because that's the foundation that I have my love on. But yet there's a balance to it. I don't compromise. I don't compromise. wonder what letter it was in. It says, share the truth in love. Anybody want to guess? How about, uh, you figure maybe Ephesians? Share the truth in love. I'm not going to compromise truth because that is true love. Listen, I, you guys know that I have this problem with history. I love history. I think it's awesome. I <laughs> Don't ask me why. But I, I do some studying on the monastic life. Okay, and everybody says, what? Monks. Monks, okay? And they just fascinate me. They, they fascinate me. Uh, I did a bike ride one time down to the Royal Gorge, uh, not on a motorcycle. I had to pedal the stupid thing uh, from Highlands Ranch. And uh, I did that once and said, why was that ever on my bucket list? But it's, it's over. But anyway, there is a monastery right at the Canyon City. And they had a, a break for us there. You could get rub downs and bananas. And I don't know why those two go together. But anyway, it was all there. And you had all these monks running around. But I looked at those people. And I mean, they're wearing the 
looks like a burlap bag thing. And I mean, this thing was in June. It was hotter than blue blazes. And I was like, you guys are miserable. But you know, one of the things I found out about the monastic, the monks, you would be hard pressed to find anyone more loyal to Christ than them. Okay? But their loyalty to Christ was so intense that it separated them from men. And that avails nothing. Loveless faith. Listen, loveless faith has never touched anybody. The Spanish Inquisition, they were noted as the, the heresy hunters. Okay? Their loyalty their, to their faith, and it caused them, their loyalty was so dedicated, it caused them to persecute those of any other different belief. I watch it today. I mean, you're a Calvinist. You're an Arminianist. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute. Let's do the Isaiah thing. Let us reason together from the scriptures. Because I have people who will accuse, you're a Calvinist. And I'll say, what text? Just tell me what text. But see, we don't do that. Loveless faith. When Jesus came into the world, the Pharisees, I've read the Mishnah and the Talmud, pieces of both, which was writings by the Pharisees. Golly, their grasp of the holiness of God still staggers me to this day. They, wow, you just sit there and go, man, you guys are sitting around thinking this stuff up. But you know what? They had a loyalty which made them hateful of all others. And even when God was standing in front of them, they couldn't see it because of their loyalty to who? Loveless faith. You know what? I see people in the body of Christ today in some of my travels, especially here in Castle Rock, that are hateful, they're bitter, they're resentful of other Christians. And you know what? There's times that I have to ask myself, is that a genuine saving faith? You can have absolute orthodoxy and not love the saints. And that doesn't mean a thing. See, genuine, true faith, saving faith. A person who is saved is seen in their love. Seen in their love. Listen, in fact, you can't love the Lord Christ Jesus and put your faith in him without loving the people that he loves. impossible. Remember I shared with you that I love this book because this book Ephesians 
is the body of Christ. That's a fascinating description of what the church is. It is the body of Jesus Christ. I share with you those letters from whether it's Pastor Philip or Pastor Paul or Pastor Valeri or Alexander or whoever, Igor. I share with you those letters and it's the love of body of Christ. Those are us. They are us. First John's chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this they will know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. We love the saints. Even the little cute porcupine ones. Okay, even the faint hearted, even the weak, who is either theologically weak or morally weak. And we appreciate those who have authority over us in the word. Apostle Paul in verse 16, chapter one, Ephesians says, I give thanks. I give thanks. Why? I praise you for your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I praise you for your love for all the saints. Then he moves straight from that to his petition. His petition. And we'll step into that one next week. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, you have given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Father, you have preordained the body of Christ before the foundations of the world. Father, we, each and every one of us, are graced with our next breath breath from you. Help us, my King. Help us to have a faith in the Lord Jesus that all men will see. And Father, as that grows, may people see our love for all the saints. Help us, Lord. This is not humanly possible. And yet, with you in us, let us walk as Christ. Let us walk worthy. Thank you, my King. In Christ's name, amen.